Veritas, good morning. So glad to be here with you guys. I think every Veritas church service needs children running around in the field behind. I hope, I hope, uh, yeah, if you have kids, uh, we're just embracing the, you know, we're just a family out here worshiping. And so uh, it's okay. Don't, don't feel like you have to, you know, keep everyone perfectly quiet and seated. This, we're just uh, enjoying this, uh, this beautiful field together. And if you're online, um, yeah, welcome as well. Our goal is to worship the Lord, which you can do anywhere. And it's to bring the word of God to you, whether it's here out on a field or in your, the comfort of your bed or living room or cabin or wherever you may be. This morning we are in 1 John chapter 4. And man, does John have a word for us this morning. I think the Holy Spirit um, has, you know, the, the, the Bible is described as a sword. And this morning I feel the weight of this text. And I want to read it to you and you can understand why. This, this is 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you're watching online, the words will come up on the screen. Um, if you're in person, uh, just turn on your phone there or open there. I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. This is God's word to us this morning. Um, So he begins... Dear friends, and some of your translations say beloved, it's this word agapetos. It's people who are personally experiencing the love of God in their life. The tone of this passage is not let's throw down on all the people who don't get it. He's writing to the church, dear children, uh, this morning, I am not preaching to the world. I'm preaching to the people of Veritas Church. I'm preaching to the, the dearly loved people of God that I'm looking at and that I'm looking at online and might be watching. You call yourself a part of Veritas, and I'm saying to you with this, this tone of John, trying to communicate with the warmth of John, he says, Dear beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This morning, I am conflicted because I've, over the course of the last few weeks, even last few years, been wrestling through uh, issues concerning racial reconciliation, the things that are going on in the world and trying to wrestle with the scriptures and say, what does the Bible say about this? What do I think about this? And and there are endless books and podcasts and teachings out there. 
And my question this morning is, is it good for us as Christians to be teachable, humble listeners? Yes, yes, right, yes. That's uh, what it means to be a Christian. Um, But here I see this catch. This posture is often what makes us as believers susceptible to believing lies. Because we want to incline our ears and and listen to what people are saying, but it kind of opens us up to false teaching. I've talked to multiple pastors and and people in Veritas, outside of Veritas, people that are very confused and they're being thrown into all kinds of confusion by all the winds of teaching that are blowing out there. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4. And John is giving us permission, even a command, not even just permission. He is giving us a command this morning to carefully examine what we are being taught. He uses this word test. He says, and he says it explicitly, this command. He says, do not believe everything you hear, but test. This is a a term that metal workers would use, people working with metal to test the genuineness of a thing. So is this real or fake gold? Someone hands you a $100 bill. What's the first thing you want to know? Is this real or is this monopoly money? What is this? You're holding up to the light, Googling, like, how do I authenticate? That's, that's what John is saying we are supposed to do when someone hands us a $100 bill, someone hands us a teaching, and they say, you need to believe this, and we take that, and we are supposed to test it. We're supposed to examine it. It's not Christian to just take it and say, oh, wow. That's cool. I'll just sort of add that to all the other things I believe. Test this. Do that with what you hear. But here's my question as I was studying this. Why does John say test the spirits and not test the teachings? I don't talk like that as an American. Test the spirits. That seems kind of weird. Why does he say that? Why not just test the teaching? Okay, John is not saying you need to go around and call out every professor and podcaster as like false teacher, antichrist. I I don't believe that's what he's saying for us to do. But I think what he is saying very clearly is that ideas are spiritual. Ideas are spiritual. There are ideas that are demonic. Listen to how Paul says it in 1 Timothy 4. He says, now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars. Ephesians 6, Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of of this age and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So I want to go back real quick and just think about the first lie ever told. Do you know what the first lie ever told in the history of humanity was? On like page two of our Bible, Genesis 3. Yeah, there we go. Adam and Eve. And and the first lie was, here it is, that little idea, that little 
innocent question, that little spin on God's word that launched this whole world into a world with wars and diseases and fighting, and it was just a little idea, just a question. Did God really say? Did God really say? You can't eat from any tree? No. He said you would die. No, you will not die. Adam and Eve let that little idea into their minds, and if we open the door of our hearts and our minds to this demonic teaching, where will it take us? John is very concerned for the church to preserve the doctrine, the things that we believe in our minds. There's a good reason why churches quote creeds week after week. Maybe we should do that every once in a while at Veritas, but just to remind ourselves of the teachings that unite us as people We were in connection group, and I want to tell you about the question that destroyed our connection group and almost destroyed marriages and everything else. It was one little question. Um, We were in our circle, and someone was saying, hey, could you pray for my, I think it was their dad, could you pray for my dad? He doesn't know Jesus, and he's sick, and he's dying. And just before we're going to go to prayer, someone in the group says, well, your dad is going to get an opportunity after he dies to know Jesus. I mean, God is love, and we know that love's ultimately going to win. And so we can pray for your dad, but we know that there's an opportunity. God will give him another opportunity after he dies. And we all kind of like, whoa, it's like someone had just, you know, rolled a grenade into the middle of the group, and we're trying to figure out, What do we do? How do we respond to this idea that has come into our group? And so another guy in the connection group and myself went and just had coffee with this person, and it ended up with just this exploding with division and bitterness. It was a simple statement that destroyed our group. But it was not just an innocent statement. There was a spirit behind it. And he says, dear loved children of God, do you want to have confidence before God that you can have full assurance? Here's the first question. There's three questions. You can write these down that kind of where we're going in this text is the first question I think we're confronted with is, do you carefully examine what you hear? Do you carefully examine what's coming into your mind? the teachings that you're hearing, the stations you're watching. Well, how do you know the Spirit of God versus demonic spirits? I'm glad you asked because John says in verse 2, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not from God. Our confidence is, hinges on this second question we're confronted with is if you're taking notes do your beliefs pass the jesus test do your beliefs pass the jesus test think about this when it comes to religion what's the one thing you can't be wrong about what's the one thing that if 
if your religion gets this wrong, it doesn't matter what else you get right because you're wrong about everything else. Here it is. Who is God? For the Christian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Christian triune God, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, descended from God. He is, he is God in flesh. He was crucified for our sins. He was raised to life. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. If we are wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what else we get right. <laughs> he says, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, why does he say this specific statement about, he could have said many things to confront many false teachings. Why does he say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? The first 300 years of the church, probably the most dangerous heresy, the most dangerous false teaching was called Gnosticism. Uh, it's from the Greek word gnosko, which means knowledge. And there was an influence of Greek thought. Uh, some of you that maybe have heard of or studied Plato and this idea of dualism, kind of this fighting between the material world and the spiritual world. And, and there's a, the material world is evil. We're kind of trapped in it. We can't escape it. And so these Gnostic teachers said that there was this special spiritual knowledge that you could attain if you were enlightened, sort of escaping this. And these false teachers believed in Jesus Christ. Many of them even said that he was God. Here's the problem. If your body is trapped in evil, then it's impossible for God to truly take on flesh because he himself would be becoming evil. And so to preserve the perfection of Jesus, there was this false teacher, Serinthus. During this time, he was a contemporary of the Apostle John. And this is an example of false teaching. It's, it's likely that John was speaking directly confronting his teaching, but he taught that Jesus was just a dude. There's a difference between Jesus and Christ. They're two different people. Jesus, he was just this dude that uh, was living, and the Messiah, the, the spirit of the anointing, came upon him at his baptism, and he carried out this life of love and everything in these teachings, and then when he was crucified, God left him. The Messiah left him at the crucifixion, before the crucifixion. So, Serinthus said, the only way to know Jesus is to educate yourself in all of these Gnostic teachings, to be enlightened by this mystical knowledge, this secret knowledge. And it was pulling the church of God, the Christians, away from the simple teaching of the gospel. And so he says in Chapter 1, verse 1, he opens the little epistle by saying, Hey, listen, I heard this with my own ears. This, that which I have seen with my own eyes. The, the person, Jesus, that I touched. G John is saying, no, 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 no. I was with Jesus. I know who he is. God in the flesh. Chapter 4, verse 2, in our text, he says, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Lord, forgives cleanses, redeems, unites his people. It's a ministry of reconciliation. And I think John is saying, if it was not God in that manger, if it was not God on that cross, then we have no good news. 
if Jesus was not fully God and fully man, then we are still dead in our sins. And in verse 1, he says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. He's saying many. They are all over the place. They are all over the place. And in verse 5, he said, the world listens to them. It's possible, even probable, that what John is saying is like, there are more people out there following this teaching than there are here following the true gospel. Do you ever feel that way? There's more people out there that are believing stuff than lies than there are here or watching online, right? There's way less views on churches this morning than there are uh, the most popular celebrities of our time with their teachings. And John says, yes, this is true. Even today, this is true. Over the years, I have seen many winds of teaching blow through the church. have seen the effect of the idealism of poverty, which one guy, uh, Dallas Willard, calls this the most dangerous teaching in the history of the church. Idealizing poverty, you know, this idea that if you're a real Christian, you're going to uh, go to the inner city. If you are a real Christian, you're going to go overseas. Some of you have felt that, like your friends come back from overseas and you almost treated like you're not a real Christian because you've never experienced that. You've never been to that orphanage in Africa. You've never been to that place in Asia. You've never experienced it. So you feel like a second-class Christian because I've never experienced that. And so I can never really be a true Christian. And I've seen that. Uh, I've seen the extreme uh, in the early years of my faith uh, being discipled by Jeff Dodge. I remember uh, the, the um, extreme Pentecostal revivals of the early 90s that people were in these big services falling over and making animal noises. And if you're a true Christian, you're going to experience this special anointing and this special experience. And, and people would say, yeah, is your church spirit-filled? Meaning, have you experienced these, these secret sort of experiences by the Holy Spirit? I've seen in the early 2000s when I was a youth pastor, I sat down with a group of other youth pastors, and this guy came from Minnesota a false teacher. He was in the emergent church movement and he had written books and he was poisoning the minds of all these youth pastors saying, all you guys at your churches have never truly experienced church. What you need to experience is this new epistemology, this new way of understanding the Bible. And you have to read all these books and be educated by these enlightened teachers. I've seen and talk to many Christians who feel like when they read the Bible, God doesn't speak to them as loudly as other Christians. And so they think something's wrong with them because they read it and they don't get that voice from God. And so they, they feel like they're distant from God. Maybe they, you've experienced some spiritual disciplines and you go around telling other people like, eh, if you don't fast this way or if you don't do this, you really can't. Well, there are many of these. This past week, I've spoken to probably 10 friends in ministry that are struggling with a teaching that is blowing through the church right now. Um, one friend in particular was telling me about the influence of the teaching of white fragility that he has been struggling with personally 
basically, which teaches, this is, I mean, I'm, this may be reductionistic for those of you that have really studied white fragility. And, and here's the hard thing about this. There's always going to be some truth in all of this. That's why John's saying test the spirits. I think there's good that we can take out of uh, books that we read and things that we hear. There's, there's good things. My heart has been encouraged toward compassion and different things that I've learned over the last months and even years as I've been studying this. But, but a basic idea here is that there are two kinds of white people. There are racist white people who admit they're racist, and there are racist white people who are too fragile to admit it because they foster this system of oppression. And my friend was telling me that he felt that fellowship required him to constantly prove that he was anti-racist, to constantly post the right things on social media to communicate to his tribe that, that he was anti-racist. He felt the extreme pressure to continue to educate himself on all the ways he was implicitly responsible for oppression. He was on a never-ending quest to be an awakened Christian, a woke Christian. And at first, he looked down on all the other Christians who were ignorant, who were unrepentant, casting judgment on other believers and other churches. But soon, he began to doubt his own ability to read the Bible. He began to doubt his own ability to have relationship with a black or brown brother or sister in Christ. It created more division, more bitterness and distrust in his soul and ended up causing more segregation. Under this worldview, in his words, he was guilty by his very existence, unable to atone for his inherent sins, unable to escape the enslavement of his racism. He was irredeemably racist. Now, what do we do with that? Because there's an aspect of my depravity and my sin that I will never fully understand the extent of. And so there may be some truth in me needing to examine the blind spots that I have and I can benefit from that. But if the ministry of reconciliation that you are being taught is one that you can never escape the sin that you are guilty of, then that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not the good news about Jesus. If you can never be joyful and happy because all of the sin that's in your life or in the world, that is not the gospel. In fact, in Romans 10, that well, the fruit of this sort of false teaching is hyper-judgmentalism, hyper-critical spirit. In Romans 10, Paul says, in their zeal for God, listen, in their zeal for God, they attempted to establish their own righteousness, and in doing, they did not submit to the righteousness that comes from God. And any of these false teachings, even this for this Serenthus, it became a system of self-righteousness. 
following the rules to prove that you are a good Christian. The whole point of my social media feed is to prove to everyone that, that I'm not one of those ignorant Christians, right? I, I need to justify and prove that I am righteous. And in those systems of self-righteousness, someone needs to be condemned. Someone needs to be crucified. So I, I go after all of you guys that don't get it, are not enlightened. And it's a very similar thing that John is confronting not just because you have friends that read those books and uh, have benefited from that teaching doesn't mean they've fallen into this trap. Uh, but, but my friend who was talking to me had been drawn away from Jesus, doubting his own ability to be a follower of Jesus. And verse 5 says, the world listens to them. Yeah, they're going to have a lot of followers. Do you ever feel like we're losing I do. And that's why John says in verse 4, you are from God. Little children, you have conquered them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Church, Take inventory. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. You are a traveling ambassador of Jesus, a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not outnumbered. We are not losing. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Take courage. Be strong. And John ends by saying, they are from the world. Therefore, what they say from the world is from the world. We're not surprised by this teaching. The world listens to them. But we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. So this is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of the deception. The way to know the spirit of the truth, John says, is to listen to us. Now, I want to be careful with that statement because I am not the apostle John I am not writing the infallible word of God, but I'm telling you, John is saying, you listen to the apostles. He was a witness of Jesus, an apostle of Christ, a witness of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and he's bringing the word of God. And as we study the word, God is opening our eyes to the truth, and we need to listen to it. So the last question as we close is simply this, who are you listening to this morning? Who are you listening to? Where are you getting your ideas? Who are you letting shape your thinking? Here's a vision for Veritas. Here's what I want for us. Our name is Veritas Church, Latin word for truth. We're truth church. Jesus says, uh, that's why I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here's a vision for us to live into, Veritas. It's simply this. I want to be like the Berean church. Have you heard of the Bereans? In Acts chapter 17, let me read this just quickly as we close. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas they, away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Acts 17, 11, the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. 
Why were they of more? We got, a ver, we got a, epistles to the Thessalonians. Paul says there was a church that was more impressive than the Thessalonians. It was the church in Berea. I hope that's the church here. He says why? Because they received the word with eagerness. They were eager to hear it. And they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Church, God's word is sufficient for us. God's word is enough to guide our path and to make our path straight. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. This morning, you don't need to go out and read every book to enlighten yourself. You just need to come back to the the book and the book that points us back to the simple path that is Jesus Christ who has come. If you are feeling anxious, if you are feeling afraid, if you are feeling ignorant, if you are feeling condemned this morning, I've got great news to you. For you, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and he has come to cleanse us of our sins, to free us. And church, this is an encouraging message for us, but it's a call for us to carefully examine what we are hearing. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we want to worship you as you are. We don't want to worship the image of you that we have in our heads. We want to worship the real Jesus Christ. And God, I have ways of thinking about you that are not in line with what is true. And I pray for myself and this church that your word will transform our minds to love you more. Free us, protect us from false teaching. Jesus, we long to know you as you are. So so just fill us with your joy. Fill us with your freedom. Fill us with your unity and love. Free us from that critical, bitter, judgmental spirit that we often gravitate toward, the self-righteousness to look down on others, but free us to love as you have loved us, Jesus. We pray in your name.